In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Your word were found, and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy, and the delight of my heart. What is the first commandment? Bring it in your mind. Maybe it's on the tip of your tongue. Maybe there's another concern that is, you know, occupying space in your heart right now. But we are giving all of that room to the Word of God. Contemplate the first commandment. When I was a young man, I used the, the catechism that looked like this one. How many of you had this catechism? Actually, this is my catechism. Whoever this young man was liked to doodle. And it's the same insights as this one, but this one was in, published in 1965, and you can tell. And if you uh, use this catechism, the commandments start with thou shalt, right? You say, want to say it with me? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Let's say it again. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And we memorized that. How many of you had a catechism that looked something like this? Raise your hands. How many? Number? Sure. And the, the, the commandment's the same, a little shorter. You shall have no other gods. So what is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. Many of you remember a catechism looks like this. And the commandment is the same, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And of course, this is a great way to memorize by saying it out loud and saying it many times. That the words of God, as we prayed in the prayer that I prayed at the beginning of the service, which, by the way, is just inside the cover of the hymnal at the bottom, that they pass from our ear to our heart. That as we hear our lips speaking the words of God, our heart is listening. What does this mean? In all of these catechisms, it says the same thing. Let's say it together. Do you remember? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Let's try it again. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. That's the foundational truth that undergirds all of the scripture readings for today. And in particular, the Old Testament preaching of the prophet Isaiah and the New Testament prophetic preaching of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's all about that first commandment. For from the first commandment, all of the others are born. It is the central truth upon which all is constructed and all is built 
according to the one true faith. You shall have no other gods, for there is only one in whom we fear, love, and trust. Look for all good, the one true God. And that was the problem. We go to the first preacher, Isaiah. He was one that there were many who didn't like a word that he said. Because what he did is he looked at Israel and he saw their great sins against the first commandment. And because of that, every other sin followed. He looked at them and saw that outwardly they looked pretty orthodox in some ways. They were going through the motions. But the words that were in their mouths never made it to their heart. They had a lot of traditions, but not a lot of faith. And it showed. So from this kind of a hollow spirituality came a, a raft of trouble within immorality with, within the people's lives and a lot of other trouble when it came to facing the challenges in the world. They certainly don't, didn't go to God first. The Assyrians were the big, bad, scary enemy back then. Northern Kingdom was terrified of them and they got together with Aram and tried to have an alliance, tried to get Judah to come along. Judah wouldn't do it. Instead, they allied with the Assyrians. Later on, even tried to ally with their old slave masters in Egypt. Trust in the Lord? Not so much. And you can just about hear those who had faith in themselves and in their own righteousness, in their own smarts, in their own intelligence, listening to the words of God to say, trust in the Lord, and thinking, what a bunch of silliness. Those remarks about the pot saying to the potter, hey, I know better. That's exactly what they were doing. Well, God demonstrated something amazing. And you hear it there in the prophecy of Isaiah. It's a, it's, a, it's a shockingly beautiful gift. If ever in your contemplation of the Ten Commandments, and who isn't daily struck by the reality of their own sinfulness, almost to the point of despair sometimes, we should not despair. Because God is merciful, gracious, and loving beyond our comprehension. And Isaiah said, you know, I'm going to do something brand new. This is the Lord's word. I'm going to make everything brand new. And he did. There was one time when a big powerful army of Assyria was encamped around Jerusalem going to destroy it. And in one night, 180,000 more of their soldiers died in their tents by the hand of the Lord. 
They gave up the siege. They ran away. But God also told them that this would not be prolonged and the Babylonians would return and take the people into captivity. A strict judgment upon the people's sin, but not to destroy them. For God was going to do something astonishing. His son, the people of Israel, he was going to bring back from the dead back from captivity, bring them back to their land. And so God commanded the prophet to preach something amazing, that not only did the people deserve judgment, but that God gives them what they don't deserve, and that we should trust in the Lord, leaning not on our understanding, but trust on the Lord who preaches the truth to us of who we are, but the truth to us of who he is, a God who forgives, who raises from the dead, who brought Israel back. And we know that this story was not simply about that people, but it was about Jesus. Israel brought into one person, God himself. Jesus fed the thousands, the loaves and the fish, multiplying according to his divine power in a miracle of God's abundance. But even as people saw this happen, comprehending who Jesus is, though plain as day, according to the words of God and the prophetic scriptures, they didn't get it. And fellow redeemed, it's important to recognize this, that understanding something is not simply an exercise of having it explained clearly. If someone doesn't believe something, it can be very clearly, clearly taught, and it will still be rejected. And that was what was happening for many. Oh, there were many Gentiles and those outside who saw Jesus for who he was, who flocked to be around him, who believed in him, who knew that he would heal them and could heal them, even just touching the fringe of his garment. And they were healed. But there were many others who were thinking more of their own situation, their own economy. You know, the problems that faced Israel back in Isaiah's day were the empty worship, were the immorality, and also the love, the absolute love of wealth and security. And that's why they made that unholy alliance with their enemy, who would ultimately destroy them. That same kind of people came up to Jesus, chased him, they, they loved the idea of wealth and security, and they saw in Jesus as kind of a, of, a, of a meal ticket. But something else was happening. And the people were listening to the words of Jesus, though not accepting them, and were in Jesus' words of a salvation that comes through faith in him, 
got back to Jerusalem. For that kind of thing would be a really different religion. The religion that was in power at that time was that the law of God was kind of in the center, but around the law was built a fence of the tradition of the elders, of the fathers. And the idea was that if you have this fence around the law and you get stopped there and you just keep those first, you'll never have to worry about transgressing the law that's in the middle of the fence. But that was not true. For the sinfulness of humanity is profound. And what had happened but that by trying to avoid breaking any of the commandments, they broke all of the commandments by breaking the first commandment. They fell in love. Their God was that fence, their traditions. And in fact, what came out of that great sin were all the other sins. And the one that Jesus pointed out was their sin against the fourth commandment of caring for your parents through some legalistic way of saying Korban, they could get out of it. That sounds ludicrous. But it was accepted practice. And this Jesus, who offered a salvation that was not according to the law in that way, the traditions of the elders, but actually dealt with the center of the heart, God's heart communicated to us in the law, which also meant Jesus' way dealt with our sin. They found that extraordinarily threatening. Those who came to listen to Jesus, kind of the doctrinal uh, judgment committee, the Pharisees and the leaders of them, the scribes, came from Jerusalem, so they came from headquarters, probably the school of Gamaliel. Actually, that's kind of where St. Paul came from, and it, he might have heard of it. And it kind of explains why, if that's true, why St. Paul would have had such a virulent hatred for Christianity. Because any Pharisee would be able to see that this is not the way we believe you're saved. Not through faith, but by what we do. By all these things that we do. They came up to Jesus. Now, last couple of weeks we've been in the Gospel of John, and now that we're back in Mark, we have to remember what had happened. Jesus had fed the 5,000, right? Then he met his disciples as he walked on the water, and they were in the middle of the lake, pulling hard on the oars. But rather than looking to Jesus in faith, because they didn't understand about the bread, they didn't believe that part yet. They didn't know what was going on. As they looked at Jesus, rather than being comforted that God is with you in the midst of your struggles, they looked at Jesus and saw, oh no, it's a ghost, and they were panicked. Oh boy. Jesus walked over, got in the boat. Just like that, the water's calm. The winds died down. They were in awe but they had a long way to go. And right after that, Jesus gets into town and this little delegation shows up as Jesus is preaching, teaching, healing, 
the signs of his Messiahship um, abundant. But this little team comes up, the doctoral review committee from Jerusalem, led by the scribes with the Pharisees in tow. And isn't it ironic that it's still about the bread? They saw Jesus' disciples eating bread with hands that were not that were unclean. Now this has nothing to do with hygiene. They would wash from the knuckles to the elbow ceremonially, keeping to that raft of traditions. They did all kinds of other things as the scriptures share and kind of in words of explanation. And you have kind of set before you this amazing um, choice. Which bread? The one bread of the traditions of the elders where you do all the things that we've commanded according to our tradition, washing the knuckles to the elbow and everything else. And then you're okay with God. Or this other bread. Well, what is that other bread? Even as people had the bread still in their mouth, they started to think about that bread. And you can see Jesus, and you hear him throughout the Gospels, saying, that's not the bread. It's the sign that shows you who the, where your true bread is. I am the bread of life, right here. Eat of this flesh, drink of this blood. You'll have eternal life. Believe in me. Dashed was that whole system of creating your own righteousness. And instead, faith in the living word of God, Jesus, is the only way to be saved. Suffering condemned sinners loved that because they knew they had no hope. Deluded self-righteous sinners who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ hated it because it wrecked their system. And so was set up what would follow throughout the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But remember how good and gracious God is. This Jesus, upon whom was laid the sins of all the world, went into that great exile on the cross, was utterly destroyed as he hung there, was crucified, was di died, and was buried. No one would have said that there would ever come anything more of this Jesus. But they knew not the faithfulness of God. For God would not leave his son in the tomb, even as he did not leave Israel in that place of, of captivity in Babylon, but brought him back. God brought back the true Israel, Jesus, who carried, who though he had no sin, he carried our sins. And when he died, he destroyed them. He carried our death, and when he died, he destroyed it. And when Jesus rose again in glory from the dead, he did something wonderful that we never could have imagined. He gave hope to sinners. 
hope to you and me, and a life that never ends. The prophet Isaiah talked about it, though people couldn't probably hear it. Things being turned upside down. Something like Lebanon, a nation known for trees to be turned into a fruitful field. Fields known for not having trees turning into forests. And said, think about it, this is what I'm going to do. In your upside down world controlled by sin and trouble and sorrow and death. This is what I'm going to do. In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. This happened. And as many as saw Jesus believed his word. As many of us today who hear the voice of Jesus in his word, and as many believe, are saved. Our baptismal joy is that God has given us his Holy Spirit, who works outside of the realms of our human rejection for things holy, that he may speak words of faith to our hearts. So that confessing our sins, we know that God forgives us, that we love his teaching and walk in his ways, and that he gives us a peace that transcends. It's bigger than our understanding. So rather than worrying constantly about making ourselves right with God, God first says, Believe in me. And we confess our sins and believe and trust in Jesus, and he redeems us from all our iniquity. And then as our dear Father, he reveals the wisdom of the word of God throughout all of the scriptures, that our lives may be resplendent with his glory. Lives that really are upside down from the world standard. But it is a life that is Jesus' life, given to us in our baptism. And it's not for our glory, but to the glory of the Lord. You know, at the first service, the only catechism I could find was this one. And then I went back and I had time to search, and then I found this one. Do you know where your catechism is? Lord, help us ever, ever to retain the catechism's doctrine plain. Where is it? I couldn't lay my hands on it right away. Maybe you can't either. And I would encourage you to find it. And as you think of your time in God's house today, throughout this week, Remember the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Especially when you're fearful, threatened, or questioning, remember the first commandment. And then remember who fulfilled all the commandments. Jesus. Confess your sins and trust in him, and you 
have nothing to fear. You will be saved. But then remember that the words of God are not given to us for no purpose. They are for our blessing. Martin Luther, in, address, in addressing some of the more educated people in his day, um, in his own humorous way, would talk to them as if they thought they were too, too smart for the catechism, the Ten Commandments. Too smart for the Ten Commandments. Too smart to contemplate all of the scriptures as brought together in the Apostles' Creed. That they were too deep in understanding for the Lord's Prayer. That these were just the babble of the ABCs for little kids. How wrong that is. But I'm certain that as you have contemplated the commandments of God through the years, what happens? But that we're like the disciples in the boat seeing Jesus walk by on the water. We recognize our own blindness, our own troubles, our own lack of understanding. The words of God are like a well that never disappoints. But we need in faith to hear it. That our eyes in faith will read it. And we memorize it so that the words not only flow in one ear and out the other, but they start to soak in from the mouth to the heart, from the heart to the life. This is the way through faith that God brings his joy and his love into every day of our lives even as we look forward to the day of our Lord Jesus' return, the resurrection of the dead, and the life everlasting. Fellow redeemed, may this glorious gospel strengthen you in faith in Jesus, that your joy may always be in him, that we have no other gods but the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.